Ann and I got here last night, and we went out to eat and walked in the restaurant. They said we didn't need a mask. They gave us, they gave us a real menu. They gave us real silverware, not that sorry plastic stuff. I thought, this is one great state, the state of Texas. I like this. You're leading the way for the rest of the nation. So glad to be here with you today as we begin a new series, our Easter series, the studies of Jesus and the Gospels leading up to Easter. And today we're looking at a very famous text in John chapter 3. So I want to ask you to turn there to John chapter 3 as we look today at two births that count, two births that count. John chapter 3. We're going to study verses 1 through 18, but we're going to read to introduce our text, verses 1 through 4. And if you're physically able to honor God, let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. We welcome those of you joining us by live video feed as well as all of you here. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Lord, as we look at Nicodemus' question, it is my prayer that as we stand before you, our Creator, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you, Lord, the Holy Spirit, will illumine fresh truth from a very familiar text so that we can hear from you and may we trust in you may we follow you oh lord speak to us today for we pray this prayer in jesus name amen birth is a miraculous event and where you were born is very important to you, even though not one of you remembers the event. But it was important to you. So I want to ask you to have some involvement with me in this message today. I'm going to ask you to stand when I speak to a region of the world where you're born. So first of all, all of you that were born outside the United States, would you stand at this time? Outside the U.S. Do we have any? Okay, we got a few. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you're, look here, a good number. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Then those of you that were born east of the Mississippi River, but north of the Mason-Dixon line. So we can identify all the Yankees here. Could you, <laughs> could you stand? Yes, yes, we're glad to have Yankees here. At there you are. That's right. All right. Now, you can be seated. Now, those of you born east of the Mississippi River, but south 
of the Mason-Dixon line. Would you stand now? All those true Southerners. There are a few of you here scattered. Oh, well, we got a few. All right. Welcome. We're glad you're here too. All right. Now, those of you that are born west of the Mississippi River, but outside of the state of Texas, if you were born in the west, but outside of Texas, would you stand? Oh, that's a pretty good number. Good night. A lot of folks. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, for the chosen ones, the elect, those of you born in the state of Texas, but outside of the Longview area, could you stand? Oh, my goodness, look at these folks. I tell everyone, Texas is a cult. You can never get out of it. You're always proud to be from Texas. All right, now, these are especially important for folks. All of you that were born in the Longview area, could you stand? Oh, my goodness, that's a lot of folks. All right. Thank you very much. Now, if you did not stand, you are not here. <laughs> and you do not exist because we covered every part of the world there. Your physical birth is very important, but there's a second birth that is just as important. Today, we speak of two births that count. And we want to see this great encounter of Jesus with a very important man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, let's go back to verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Y'all, I have a, a pastor friend in Atlanta that he told me that when he got saved, he almost instantly knew he was called to be a preacher. And so he was in a little country church at the time, and his pastor in a few months allowed him to have his first sermon. So he chose John 3, and he preached on Nicodemus. said three people got saved that day. But that's not how you pronounce it. It's Nicodemus, and you can call him Nick if you want. You may not have any friends named Nicodemus, but you may have some friends named Nick. Well, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was a Bible scholar. In other words, he knew the Bible. He believed the Bible. And because he was a ruler of the Jews, that meant he was part of the Sanhedrin. That was a very powerful ruling body of the Jews in the first century with Jesus. You would, if you were to compare it in America, it'd kind of be like combining the U.S. Supreme Court and the United States Senate. I mean, this was a powerful influential group so this is a man of means a man of status a man of power a man of influence a man who's a scholar a man who believes the bible like so many people here at Moberly. but it says he came to jesus and he showed great respect for jesus by saying rabbi we know that you come from god as a teacher for no one could do these signs that you do unless god is with him now he came at night to see Jesus because he was politically sensitive. He knew most of his buds in the Sanhedrin, they didn't think highly of Jesus. They were resentful of Jesus. So he came at night, kind of a secret meeting, but he shows respect for Jesus. He calls him a rabbi. That's amazing because it would be like some great Ph.D. Bible scholar coming to a country preacher that didn't even have a high school degree and calling him doctor or rabbi. He shows great respect for Jesus because Jesus was not formally educated. And he says, 
Jesus, I know that you couldn't do these signs, that means these miracles, unless you were from God. So he's talking about the miracles of Jesus. He believes the miracles of Jesus. But he still is a man who is seeking. Something is missing. Like some of you that are joining us on live video feed today, like some of you that are seated in this room that believe in God, that believe the Bible and believe what it says about Jesus, but something is still missing. He was searching. And so Jesus responds to him in a very blunt and direct way. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you would think that this great Bible scholar, this ruler of the Sanhedrin, this very distinguished citizen coming to see him at night and being very complimentary of him, you would think Jesus would maybe respond by, well, thank you, Nicodemus, I I appreciate the respect you're showing for me. He doesn't do that. He just very direct. He said, Nick, unless you are born again, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God. Now, he's saying that to a Bible-believing religious scholar, a ruler of the Jews. Wow. And the Greek word for born again means born from above. In other words, Nicodemus unless you're born from above, unless you're born again, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. What he is saying, folks, unless you are born again, you're not a Christian, you're not a part of the kingdom of God, and if you died today, you're not going to be in heaven with God. That's really what Jesus is saying. So how does Nicodemus respond to that? Well, in verse 4, he responds very literally to what Jesus is saying. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? In other words, he takes this very literally, and you see this all through the Gospel of John. You see, time and again, Jesus is speaking about spiritual things by using physical or material analogies. The very next chapter with the woman at the well. He talks to her about living water. She comes to that well every day to draw water. She'd rather not have to make that trip every day. She's very interested in physical or material water but she doesn't understand the spiritual truth that Jesus is sharing with her same way here with Nicodemus he's taking Jesus literally how can a grown man re-enter his mother's womb that's a grotesque picture he can't even grasp it he doesn't get it you see Nicodemus at this point is a classic natural man first Corinthians 2 14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. In other words, what God's Word is telling us is that unless a person is spiritually born, they're not going to understand spiritually things. They can come to church year after year. They can believe the Bible year after year. They can be a member of Mobley Baptist Church year after year. But unless they are spiritually born... They don't get it, just like some of you that are here today. Just like Nicodemus. And so Jesus begins to give Nicodemus some hints so that he might understand. Hint number one, verse 5, he begins to compare physical birth to spiritual birth. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed. I said to you, Nicodemus, 
you must be born again. Now, I've heard some fine Baptist preachers and Baptist scholars say this birth of water is referring to baptism. Nonsense. Look at the context. Jesus is comparing physical birth, birth of water, to birth of the Spirit. He's saying what is born of the flesh, that's physical birth, is flesh. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's comparing physical birth to spiritual birth. That's his first hint. Do you realize that for the first nine months of our life, we're really like a fish? We live in water, in the sack of our mother's womb. I've shared with you before about how when my wife Ann was pregnant with our third son, David, great with child, she went to get her hair cut and her water broke right there in the beauty salon. Well, that's what happens to any woman who gives birth. We are born of water physically, but Jesus is talking about a different kind of birth, a spiritual birth. And he's saying to Nicodemus, don't be surprised that I would speak to you about this second birth that is just as important as your first birth. Your first birth is so important because you would not be here if you were not physically born. But your second birth, this birth again, is also vitally important. He's speaking spiritually now. Have you been born again? Well, have you? Let me promise you this. Nobody remembers their first birth, their physical birth. But anyone who is born a second time remembers it very well. Hint number two, verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. All right. He compares the wind to the Spirit, which is often the case in Scripture. So I don't want you to respond. Please listen. Don't respond because I've done this before and really embarrassed people. I ask, raise your hand if you've ever seen the wind. And when I did that before, there were always two or three fools out there that raised their hand. Bless their heart. It's so embarrassing. Nobody's ever seen the wind. Nobody. You say, I see the wind. No, you don't. You see dust in the wind. You see leaves blowing in the wind, but you've never seen the wind. Question, does anybody here not believe that wind exists? You've never seen it. How can you believe it? You believe it because you see evidence of the wind. You feel the cold wind on your face. You know that the wind exists. You see evidence of it. You feel it. The same way with the Spirit, says Jesus. Nobody's ever seen the Spirit, but you see evidence of it. We had a, a man that came to Christ at Johnson Ferry, and when he came to our church there in Atlanta, he was not a Christian, so he would be on Johnson Ferry Road, where our church is named for there in North Atlanta, and on Sunday morning there would be these crowds, there would be a traffic jam getting into our church, and he really got ticked about it because he was going to run by the river, and it just held him up and he got tired of that. So finally, eventually, he just came into our church out of curiosity while all those people were coming in. And this is what he said. He said what got him interested in being a Christian was he saw so many people in that church with bright eyes. I love that. You know, the eyes are the window of the soul, and there's something in the countenance of a genuine Christian. I'm not talking about every church member. There are a lot of lost church members. 
But there's something in the countenance of every Christian. You can just see it. That's what he was talking about, and he wanted it. He wound up becoming a Christian, wound up becoming a deacon in our church over time. He saw evidence of the Spirit even though he didn't know what it was. Just like the wind. We've all seen evidence in people's lives that there really is a God. But we don't see the Spirit. It's invisible. That was hint number two. Did Nicodemus get it? Well, obviously not. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? In other words, even though he's a Bible scholar, even though he believes the Bible, even though he's a moral and upright leader in the Jewish community, he doesn't get it. And so Jesus begins to chide him a bit. Verse 10. Nicodemus, are you teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, which he is speaking of, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things or spiritual things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now he is beginning to identify himself. He's giving a word about the fact he is descended from heaven, but also he's given a prophecy. One day he's going to ascend back to heaven. He's identifying himself as not only the Son of Man, but the Son of God. But he still can probably see from the deer in the headlights look of Nicodemus that he still doesn't get it. So Jesus then gives him hint number three. Hint number three, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Hint number three, Jesus is referring to an historical event that any Jewish Bible scholar would know about and understand. So what was that event? Keep your finger at John 3. We're going to come back to it. Turn all the way back to the book of Numbers. If you're new to Bible study, Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Turn to Numbers chapter 21 to see what Jesus is referring to with Nicodemus. Verse 6 of Numbers 21. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, Jesus is talking about an event when they were in the wilderness, and the children of Israel had begin, begun to murmur or complain against God and even against Moses. And so God had gotten tired of all their complaining. And when God got tired of all their complaining, he sent poisonous snakes into the Israelite camp, and all kind of people were bitten by the poisonous snake and began to die. And so what do the people do? Verse 7. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that, we may that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. You know, this is the amazing thing about Moses. He leads those complaining people for 40 years in the wilderness. I would have said at this point, God, zap them. Go to it, God. Send those poisonous snakes. I'm tired of them myself. But Moses was such a, such a better man than me. They go pleading, would you intercede for us before God? He's their spiritual leader. He's their connection with God, and he does. He's such a good man, so much better than me. 
So he intercedes with the Lord. And he calls on God to spare them of the judgment and the death they deserve because of their sin. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a standard and it came about if the serpent bit any man when he looked to the bronze serpent, he would live. Now understand what is happening here. God tells Moses, make that bronze serpent, place it in the middle of the camp so that when a person is bitten by a poisonous snake and they're going to die, if they will look in faith to that bronze serpent, which is demonstrating their faith in God, that only God can save them, they will be cleansed of the poison of the snake bite and they will be saved from death. So go back to John 3, John 3, verse 14. To understand hint number three that Nicodemus would probably understand. As Moses lifted up the serpent, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's giving a prophetic word to Nicodemus. He's saying, look, just as the children of Israel saw that serpent put in the camp, when they looked to that bronze serpent in faith, they were cleansed of the poison of the snake bite. So one day, when Jesus Christ is lifted up on the cross, those who look to him in faith alone will be cleansed of the poison of sin that always leads to death. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And then, less. Nick not understand, he gives the most famous verse in the Bible. Many of you are very familiar with this. For some of you who memorized verses, this was the first verse you ever memorized, and that's good because it is the clearest statement of the good news of Christ that you can find in the New Testament. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Now listen, folks, I know many of you are familiar with a verse, and when you're familiar with a verse like this, your eyes glaze over. I've heard that a hundred times. Listen, listen, don't miss this. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he is speaking of you and me. So place your name there for the world. For God so loves David. For God so loves Alice. For God so loves Mary. For God so loves Joseph. For God so loves Daniel. For God so loves Jessica. For God so loved you and me that he gave his only son. That's Jesus. Imagine that gift. You know, your church is going through a prove the tithe time, and it would be easy for some of you to have the make and under, mistaken understanding. This is an obligation you have as a member of Mobley. No. We only give our tithes and offerings to God out of gratitude for what he has already given us, his son. It's done in gratitude. It's not an obligation. It's not a rule. It's done in thanksgiving for what God has done for us in giving us his son, Jesus. And look at what Jesus says there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. 
whoever includes this group, Jews and Baptists, Muslims and Methodists, Lutherans and Hindus, agnostics and atheists, Pentecostals and Presbyterians, those who are moral and good in an outward perspective, and those who are immoral and live a decadent life. It is anyone, anyone who believes. Look at what Jesus says. They shall not perish. Now, come on, come on, come on. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Was Jesus wrong in saying they will not perish? Remember, in John 3, all through the Gospel of John, Jesus is using physical and material analogies to teach us spiritual truths. He's not talking about physical death here. We're all going to physically die. He's talking about spiritual death. What is that? That means that when we die physically, we spiritually die forever in hell separated from God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that when we come to put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Jesus, we will not spiritually perish. Because even though our bodies will give out physically, our soul will be with the Lord forever. And one day when Jesus comes back for his church, we'll receive a new resurrected body like his that never dies. And that's a beautiful thing. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about spiritual death. And then he goes on to say this, but instead we have eternal life and eternal relationship with the Lord. You see, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus is trying to teach a Bible-believing, Bible scholar, upright, morally good man who still hadn't gotten it, that he needs a second birth, a spiritual birth. He needs to be born again. How about you? Are you one of those long-time Bible-believing, mobberly members that has never been spiritually born? Have you been born again? There are two births that count, not just your physical birth. It's important. You wouldn't be here without your physical birth. But there's a second birth, a spiritual birth, to enter the kingdom of God. And it comes through faith in Jesus alone. Look at what he says in verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, Jesus talks a lot about the word believe here. Please listen very carefully. There's a terrible misunderstanding of what the Greek word believe means. Some of you think that it just means that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he, he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. You believe that because the Bible says it. You believe it with your head. But do you know this? That makes you no different than the demons of hell. They believe all that about Jesus. So when Jesus uses the word believe, he's talking about total trust. 
Yes, we have to believe who Jesus is as the Son of God. Yes, we have to believe that he has died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to be a Christian, but that doesn't make us a Christian. Real belief is totally entrusting our life and our hope for eternal life into the hands of Jesus because in faith alone, we believe that Jesus alone is our only hope for salvation because of what he has done for us on the cross. That's what it means. Yesterday, Ann and I were about to get on a flight from Atlanta to Shreveport to come here to preach to you today. And, you know, somebody could have asked me before I got on that plane, do you believe the pilot can fly that metal tube all the way from Atlanta to Shreveport? I said, yeah, I believe that. But I didn't really show the kind of faith and belief that Jesus talks about till I got on the plane and entrusted my whole life and future in the hands of that pilot. That's the belief Jesus is talking about. It's not just head knowledge. It includes head knowledge, but it's total trust. And you know what? I didn't even see that pilot. I didn't even see his license of going to flying school. I didn't even see that. Isn't it amazing all the times that those of you here have gotten on a plane, you never see the pilot, you don't know anything about him. You don't know whether he's a sorry scandal, drunk as a skunk, you don't even know. You never even see him, and you entrust your whole life to him. And yet the God of the universe who sends us his boy, his son, to give his life for you, you're not willing to trust him. Doesn't make any sense. Have you been spiritually born? Have you been born again? There's no entry into the kingdom of God unless that occurs, says Jesus. So here's the question. Did Nick ever get it? Did he get it? The Bible doesn't tell us here. But here's why I think he may have. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to the same book, the Gospel of John. Turn to chapter 19. This is a scene right after Jesus died on the cross. He's fully dead at this point on the cross. And look at what verse 38 says in John chapter 19. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, just like a lot of you are secret followers of Jesus because you fear what your friends will think he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus all of a sudden he's no longer going to be secret and Pilate granted permission but listen to this verse 39 and Nicodemus who had first come to him by night also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight now this was the custom to anoint the body with spices and perfumes and this shows how incredibly wealthy Nicodemus was. He brought 100 pounds of spices and perfumes to anoint Jesus' body. I just don't believe he would have done that if he hadn't come to believe. Here's what I think happened. When he is a member of the Sanhedrin that had turned on Jesus, that he cried for him to be crucified. When he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross, 
He thought back to that night when he visited him and how Jesus referred him to the story he knew of when the Jews were bitten by those poisonous snakes and they had to look upon a bronze serpent to have faith in God alone in hopes that they would be spared from death. When he saw Jesus lifted up on the cross, I have a feeling all of a sudden the veil over Nicodemus' eyes was lifted. And this Jewish Bible-believing scholar at last understood. And he was so moved that he came publicly with his friend Joseph Arimathea to be publicly identified with Jesus in his death. We don't know for sure. But the evidence sure seems to be that way. But even more important than if we can answer that question about Nicodemus, how about you? Have you been spiritually born? Have you been born from above? None of us remember our first birth, our physical birth, but when you have been born spiritually, I promise you, you never forget it. Have you been born again? Jesus says we're not a part of his kingdom. We're not a part of the kingdom of God unless we have been born twice, physically and spiritually, through faith in Christ alone, through faith in what he has done for us, not anything we've done, but just entrusting our life and our hope for the future and for heaven in his hands alone. Have you been born again? Remember it this way. Listen now, are you listening? If you've been born twice, you only have to die once physically. But if you've only been born once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically and you're going to die spiritually, permanently separated from God in hell forever. How about you? Have you been born again? Have you? I have very good news for you. If you're not sure, or if you know you have not experienced a second birth, you can experience it today, right now. In that light, I urge you to pray with me about that right now. Let's pray. Father, there are bound to be people that are joining us by live video feed that are here in person. and Many of them believe the Bible. They believe in God. They believe what the Bible says about Jesus, but they've still been missing something. That second birth, that spiritual birth, they can't really identify a time in their life. It doesn't have to be a moment. It could have been over the course of weeks dealing with that decision, but a time in their life when they know for sure they were spiritually born. Lord, may they look to you right now in faith in Christ alone to put their trust in Jesus. Yes, their belief with their head about who Jesus is and what he has come and done for us on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, but now may they put their trust the trust in the whole future of their life and 
their whole hope of eternal life with you in Jesus alone. May they come to you and say, Lord, forgive me. I've been so religious. I've been believing the Bible, but I've missed the most important thing, my second birth. Lord, may they reach out to you right now and say, Lord, I'm putting my trust in Jesus alone. I want to claim this second birth. I want to invite the Lord Jesus into my heart and life and entrust all of my being, all of my future, all of my hope of victory over death physically and spiritually into the hands of Jesus. Oh, Lord, may they tell you that right now. And, Lord, for those who know they're not born again, who maybe have been very cynical about faith of the church, but somehow or another, by the power of your Holy Spirit, they've come under conviction today that they know they need to be spiritually born to enter your kingdom. May they in faith just say to you, Lord, forgive me. I've done a lot of things that you know are not right. But I believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for all those sins so I could be forgiven and so I could be spiritually born as one of your children. Would you pray that to God right now? And Lord, for those of us who know we've been spiritually born through faith in Christ alone, Holy Spirit, may you fill us with a fresh sense of gratitude and thanksgiving that you, God, love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. Oh, Lord, fill us afresh today with thanksgiving and gratitude to you for salvation, for eternal life. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you that Jesus makes it so clear that we have to be born twice to enter your kingdom forever and ever. Oh, Father, it is my prayer that all who are listening to my voice, be it through live video feed or through being in this room, that everyone who leaves this place today will be absolutely sure they've been born twice. They've been born spiritually through faith in Christ alone. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.